Let me pray for us. Father God, there's no sweeter name than Jesus. And that's why we're here. To be reminded of his goodness. To be reminded of the fact that he came, but that he's coming again. And Lord, I, I pray that that the greatest news, the thing that we desire the most is just to be in your presence. Lord, whatever we're dealing with this morning, especially if there's some sort of love in our hearts that we are, are loving more than you, something that, that we desire to be in its presence more than you, Lord, help us to repent of that today. Lord, we confess that there is nothing more glorious than you. There's nothing more satisfying than you. And, and so, Lord, in this, in this moment, just draw us back to you. Father God, I ask that you would send your spirit and that he would fill this room in such a way that, that, that he would minister to us in ways that only he can, that he would uh, convict us where we need conviction, that he would encourage us where we're discouraged, but that he would also give us the eyes of faith to see you in all your glory and trust you in whatever ways that we're not trusting you right now. But we have work to do to, to look at this final passage of the Old Testament. And I pray, Father, that, that these words, these prophecies would transform us, that it would shake us out of our spiritual apathy. So in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, people describe Gen Z as people from ages kind of 13 to 27. And so if you're 13 or younger, you're actually in a, in a new generational category called Gen Alpha. And, and, and I believe Gen Z and Gen Alpha, I think they're going to struggle with spiritual apathy for a couple of reasons. First off, both of those uh, generations are described as digital natives. And so they just live in a digital world, and you know this, guys, that, that, that you can see all sorts of competing ideas and ideologies, and, and, and you can be tempted away to believe something else besides the gospel. You, you can also run across some sort of idea that you don't have an immediate answer for, and, and it can really paralyze your faith. And second, I think there's going to be a struggle of spiritual apathy with Gen Z and Gen Alpha in the fact that they're just going to be religious minorities. So listen, if you're younger than 27, the reality of it is, is you're going to be in the minority if, if you want to walk with Jesus. Uh, Gen Z is, has grown up with the internet, and so they're the first generation that is called digital natives. They're, they're gamers. Uh, they do love to travel. They love nostalgia, i.e. stranger things is why it's such a big hit, but it's bringing all those things together. They're, they're the most formally educated uh, generation. They trust the government more than uh, past generations, and spiritually, one of the unique things about Gen Z is, is there's a higher percentage of atheists. Uh, than any generation before them. Now, if what a lot of people are saying is when you push into it with Gen Zs, they really don't understand atheism, and so they're really more agnostics. Uh, but, but, but they're unique in the, in the sense that they're willing to kind of taste a lot of different spiritualities that are out there connected to being a digital native. They're also the most ang uh, anxious generation, the loneliest generation, they have real deep convictions, but they also struggle with communication and, com and commitment. And so one of the things that, 
the church, I think, is meant to do for Gen Z is to provide authentic community that they can't find anywhere else. Gen Alpha is, is really what some people say is the first real, truly digital native generation. Education for them has always been connected uh, with, with online education in some way. Their, their home lives are more diverse than any other generation before them. But, but the real thing that's going to mark Gen Alpha probably is going to be AI technology. So, so they're not scared of VR and AR. They, they use chat GPT. And, and, and even though they're young, AI is going to be the thing that probably influences them the most, including their spirituality. Now, Adults, don't panic. I, I think there's a lot of ways for Christianity to step into those spaces, and I think we need to be intentional about that. But, but like others, they're, they're just hit with competing ideas, and so I think Gen Alpha particularly needs just a faithful apologetic for the faith. We need to be faithful to, to provide answers that are persuasive for them. However, like every other generation, both of those generations, they're going to they're gonna deal with temptations that are going to draw them away from the Lord and are going to lead to spiritual apathy. Now listen, if you've walked with Jesus for a long time, you know that the, the spiritual disciplines, they're, they're not this instant gratification. You don't just kind of randomly open up the Bible, point to a verse, and then everything is rainbows and unicorns. You know that prayer is one of those things that is to be developed over time and, and to really see the fruit of it. Sometimes uh, that takes time to see. And so for like, like all previous generations, both of those generations are going to have to have the, the, really the spiritual character to kind of step into those spaces and to faithfully trust the Lord through all the ups and downs to really experience the, the blessings of it. But they're going to have some temptations towards nominalism. And as digital natives... They're going to be tempted away by other ideas. They're going to be paralyzed by fringe objections. And they're also going to be religious minorities. So they're going to have to have courage that previous generations didn't have. All that leads to spiritual apathy. And that's what we've said is, is the problem that Malachi is dealing with. He's dealing with, with heartless orthodoxy. And, and listen, probably like most of you, like the people of Malachi's day, if, if you gave them like a, like a doctrinal quiz they would ace it. They would check all the right boxes. However, that wasn't filtering down to their hearts. It wasn't inflaming their hearts. Their doctrine wasn't transforming their lives. They struggled with really caring about the things of God. And we can all struggle with those things, right? Like we can struggle when we don't see kind of immediate, measurable results of following the Lord. In that moment, we, 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 can, we can begin to wonder, okay, is, is this real? Should we, should we really follow him? Like, like we can get overwhelmed by the criticisms of the world. We can be tempted by the desires of the flesh, and we can slide into that heartless orthodoxy. In the face of all that, the prophet in his final prophecy, this last sermon that he preaches, he's going to call us to do two things, that when you're apathetic, fear the day and remember the promises. This is his final two charges for us in this last sermon is that when you struggle with spiritual apathy, fear the day and remember the promises. Let's look at these first few verses, starting in verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God, but what is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking in the morning before the Lord of hosts. And, and now uh, we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and then they escape. 
God opens this final sermon with this charge that God's people are hard against him. That's what he says in verse 13. This begins with this kind of strong indicting, uh, accusatory tone. They're they're indicting God. They're they're judging God as bad or as wrong is what's going on here. In other words, he says in verse 13 that they've spoken against him. They say that he's wrong in some way. And we don't know all the specifics of the accusation, but what we do know is that they're apathetic because in verse 14 it says, it is vain to serve God. So what they're saying there is, hey, this is a waste of time. This is of no value. This is an empty exercise to follow God. And then they give some reasons. They give some reasons why they think it's an empty exercise, why it's of no value to follow God. It's because they don't see how following God is profitable. They don't see how it's beneficial. So, so they're looking at the world through, through these physical, unspiritual eyes, and they see the arrogant and prideful people. They see them being blessed even though God's word says, okay, listen, the humble are going to be blessed. But they look around and they see something different. And then they look with their physical eyes and they see evil people prospering, even though God's word says that he's going to punish evil people. So as a result, they say, listen, God's word says this, I see the world operating this way. And so we accuse God. This is a waste of time to follow God. Can that happen today? Can people get there? And, and all that logic today. Can, can people today accuse the God of the Bible of not being good? Can they argue that it's just a waste of time? It's, it's vanity to follow God. Can they say, okay, listen, I see all these immoral people and I see them getting away with it. So what's the point of it all? I, I think the answer is obvious. And in fact, I think Malachi uh, 3, 13 and 15, that might describe our present moment more than any other passage in the Bible. I, I think that's exactly where people are at. It's easy to look around and see immoral business people or or entertainers or politicians or pastors doing crimes or or they're prideful or they're immoral, and then they just seem to get away with it. Like we can read the headlines, we can watch award shows, and and we can wonder, okay, where is this powerful God of the Bible? Is he taking a nap? Like what's going on here? That was true in Malachi's day, and it's true in our day. In other words, it's always been true that if you just look at the slice of a situation, then you can interpret it in such a way to say, okay, well, maybe God's not really real. Maybe all this is futile following. Maybe this is all just a waste of time. Let's keep reading. Look at 16 to 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So just as there's always been people like the people in verses 13 to 15 who accuse God and view it as just a big waste of time to follow with him. There's always also been people, like the people in verses 16 to 18, who faithfully fear the Lord. In other words, there's always been an an elect. There's always been a remnant. And, and, And that remnant, that elect, has always been the smaller group of the two. There's always been a smaller group that fears the Lord. Now, now listen, if you're in Gen Z or in Gen Alpha, I I want you to see a connection there. I want you to see the connection that there's always been this larger group that doesn't fear the Lord. 
And then there's always been this smaller group that does fear the Lord. There's always been more people that kind of looked at life through these, this unspiritual lens and, and, and kind of a limited or, or an immediate sense, and they haven't fully understood what's going on around them. And then there's been this smaller group, this more narrow group, that looks at all of it through spiritual eyes, and they fear the Lord, and they trust the Lord through it. So if your expectation, if you're in Gen Z or Gen Alpha, is that your culture and all your friends around you are just always going to celebrate your faith, Number one, that's an unbiblical expectation, and I think it's an unrealistic expectation, okay? And, and that's not some big nasty indictment upon your generation. That, that's, that's my generation. That's every generation before you. That's always been the case that there's this larger group that doesn't fear the Lord and this smaller group that does. Now, you might ask the question, okay, I want to be in that elect remnant group. I want to be in that smaller group. How in a culture that doesn't celebrate orthodoxy, how do I know if I'm in that elect remnant group? What's the evidence of it? Well, the evidence of it is they feared the Lord. That, that's the key idea there. That's the key description of that smaller group is that they fear the Lord. Now, fear in the Bible kind of has two intertwining ideas. The first one we get more naturally is it's just the idea of being scared of someone, being scared of someone's potential or someone's power. But, but it can also refer to the, the anxiety over losing someone or, or losing their favor. So fearing God, it, it can literally mean respecting the fact that he's sovereign, he's all-powerful, he's the ultimate final judge. And, and this kind of like utilitarian way, you just obey him because you don't want to go to hell. Okay, that's fair. All that's true, okay? That's an aspect of fearing the Lord. However, there's another aspect of it because, because we know that our greatest joy is dwelling with Him, communing with Him. And so fearing the Lord also includes that relational component that you have with God. You don't want to lose the relationship. So fearing the Lord is, okay, means that you're going to faithfully follow Him because you don't want to lose the relationship. Now, fear of the Lord or fear is always tested when you're at this crossroads uh, of, of uh, someone else's love versus God's love. So if you say, listen, okay, I've got someone that, that I want in my life that, that I love, that I like, and, and they're telling me not to faithfully obey God's word. And you have God saying, okay, follow me and trust me in this way. You're at a moment of truth. What do you fear more? That's always the test. That's always the test on, on knowing if you truly fear the Lord. Are you willing to lose that relationship in order to maintain your relationship with God. Malachi 3.16 explains that the elect remnant fear more not being listed in the book of remembrance is what they, the phrase that he uses. Now, of course, that should take our minds to the, to the end times. But, but what he's saying there is, listen, the elect remnant, they fear God's esteem. They fear his, uh, of, of his glory being robbed. They fear that more than losing the relationships of the spiritually apathetic around them. Like they weigh that. They're like, okay, I have the opinions of man who don't even really care about God and the opinions of God. I want to go be listed in the book of remembrance. That's where they land. They care more about his opinion of them than the world and the wayward around them. But also Malachi 3.16, notice uh, it does something interesting here. Notice that the people who fear the Lord, they kind of gather together in order to discuss the criticism. Look again at 3.16. They, they, they come together and they're, they're talking about this. Now, I think a couple of things are going on here. I think they're trying to understand the criticism. I think they're trying to understand these critiques of people uh, who are criticizing God. But I think it's not just about understanding for them. They're trying to understand it so then they can persuade those people. 
Like they're coming together for missional purposes to say, okay, all these people are saying this about God. We don't believe that's true. Let's understand it so that we can then go out and shepherd them to greater faithfulness. And then that gets to the gospel. The gospel of this passage is 17 and 18. And it it explains four things that God promises or commits to do for them. He, 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 He remembers his elect. He upholds his elect. He loves his elect. And he protects his elect. What glorious promises, right? My friends, this is the good news of the passage. These are the things that God promises those who fear the Lord. So those who fear the Lord, he promises to remember us. Malachi 3.17 says that God promises that they shall be mine. When in the day. Now that, again, takes us to Revelation 20 and that great white throne judgment. When the, when the book of life is opened, he's saying that God is going to remember those who feared him and they're going to they're going to be invited into the new heavens and into the new earth friends fear the lord it's worth it and he promises to remember you when you fear the lord he also promises to uphold you in addition to being his on that day he's going to spare the judgment that we deserve like like we're going to make it to the end John 10, 29 says, no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. He's holding us secure. He's upholding us. The elect are secure in his hand. He upholds, preserves, and he keeps his, rem- his remnants. Again, brothers and sisters, fear the Lord. It's worth it. It's worth it. And when, the fear, and, and when those uh, who fear the Lord, he also promises to love them. Again, Malachi 3, 17 says, says that they are his treasured possession. Like, like that, that phrase is not this kind of cold, stale, emotionless justice. This isn't impersonal to God. This is an impersonal business. This is about love for him. He promises to love you. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 say, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which, with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Friends, when you're apathetic, fear the Lord because he promises to love you. It's worth it. And fourth and finally, when we fear the Lord, he promises to protect us. You see, in that day, he's going to distinguish between those who feared God and those who didn't fear God. And he promises to protect us from his wrath. John the Baptist, when he talked about Jesus' coming, he said he was going to come with a winnowing fork, that he was going to separate the wheat from the, from the chaff, Matthew 3. That's what he's talking about here. The Lord's going to protect us in that moment, protect us from his own wrath. Fear the Lord because it's worth it. Look at the next three verses, Malachi 4, 1 to 3. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So God's promise to remember, to uphold, to love, to protect his elect remnant who fear him. However, God also promises judgment on those who don't fear him. And friends, this is consistent through the entire teaching of the Bible. 
There's all these days of the Lord that he's prophesied. Some of them are are smaller and less significant, but they all kind of lead up. They all build to this ultimate day of the Lord, this day of judgment for those who don't fear the Lord. We've said that fearing the Lord means being more scared of him than anybody else. We've also said that, okay, fearing the Lord is desiring a good relationship with him before desiring a good relationship with him. So fearing means that you delight in him more than anybody else. But what does not fearing mean? Well, not fearing means worrying more about what other people think about you than what God thinks about you. Like not fearing, it means being willing to obey uh, the world rather than obeying the word of God. That's what not fearing looks like. Not fearing means be willing to give up a relationship because uh, uh, versus your relationship with God, that you're willing to say, okay, this relationship is more important than my relationship with God. If you don't fear the Lord, be warned a day is coming. That day is going to bring harm to the unfaithful. It's going to bring healing to the faithful, but, but it's going to bring harm to the unfaithful. What I think he's referencing here is ultimately this, this ultimate day of the Lord that we read about in Revelation. Beginning in Revelation 19, we see Jesus coming on a white horse, and he's coming for war. And all that culminates then in the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20. Let me read Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15, to, to just see what that moment's going to be like. When I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written on the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Malachi is a prophet, and this is a heavy prophetic word. God is speaking about the future of those who don't fear him. Do you fear him, and do you fear that day? But listen, be encouraged if you do, because that day is also going to be a healing day. Because if you feel him, if you fear him, that's going to be a victorious, celebratory day. Because Jesus is going to come and defeat all those enemies. And then he's going to set up his kingdom. And it's going to be marked by shalom and wholeness and happiness. Things are going to be as it should be. There's going to be peace on earth. Revelation 21.4 says, Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's the future for you if you fear the Lord. That's what's coming. And the good news only gets greater because God promises to dwell with us perfectly. Revelation 21.3, God himself will be with them as their God. Friends, do you hope in God? And do you hope in the day of the Lord? Is that your hope today? When you're tempted to be apathetic, what the prophet is trying to do here is to shake you out of your apathy by talking about the day of the Lord. By saying that God is returning. Brothers and sisters, if you fear the Lord in the face of doubts and in the face of alienation, it's going to be worth it. But the second main charge he gives us is to remember the promises. Look at verse 4. 
Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. So in, in light of the prophecies about the coming day of the Lord and the admonition to fear the Lord, what, what, what God chooses to close Malachi with is one more admonition. He tells us to remember the promises. He takes us back to the, the statutes of Moses and, and the law of God, and he says, listen, remember the word and obey it. You see, if, if the word says, don't neglect meeting together, Hebrews 10, th- then regularly show up. If the word says, listen, hide, your, hide my word in your heart, Psalm 119, th- th- then read it, study it, memorize it. If the word says, pray without ceasing, ceasing 1 Thessalonians 5, then develop those, those daily rhythms of prayer. If the word says, worship in spirit and truth, John 4, that, that when you come here, sing out and ponder the glories of the gospel, do you obey the word? Friends, don't waste your life cowering to the pressures of the world or, or, or toying with all these untrue ideas. He's saying, forget all that and, and give yourself to the word. Just faithfully follow it and then experience the blessings of walking with God and His people obey the word. Look at these final two verses. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. God ends the entire Old Testament with this promise about the Messiah coming. All the Old Testament points to Jesus. It anticipates Jesus, and it, and it leads up to and builds up to Christ's, return, or Christ's coming. Matthew 11, Mark 9, Luke 1, it all understands Malachi 4 or 5 is talking about John the Baptist. And if you remember John the Baptist, his job was to prepare the way. And specifically, his job was to prepare the hearts of the people for the Messiah. Matthew 3, 2 explains kind of a summary of his message of how he he did that. And John said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand. That's how he prepared the way. He went to God's people and he said, listen, all these things that you love more than God, all these things that you obey more than God, all these things that you fear more than God, repent of it. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is coming. Prepare yourself. Prepare your heart because Jesus is coming. Please see this point. God ended the Old Testament with a promise that God was coming. That's the hope of the Old Testament. It all leads up to Jesus. The hope of the Old Testament is that Jesus was going to come. Malachi talks about this day that is coming The gospel of Malachi is Jesus. We hope in this one that is to come. And friends, we're on on this side of all that, right? So as we read this, we know, okay, we're not sitting in in Malachi 4 shoes where we're looking ahead to it. We're on the other side of it. That means that this was fulfilled. This is a prophecy made hundreds of years before Jesus came. Jesus came and... And thus, this prophecy was fulfilled. Well, why does that matter? Because it's another little bit of evidence that God keeps his promises. That's what you're supposed to take away from this. Is that, listen, God keeps his promises. So when he makes additional promises that haven't been fulfilled yet, friend, you're supposed to believe it just like the people in Malachi's day were to believe this passage. So when he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, Matthew 28, you're to believe that promise. 
You're to believe that he's with you even to the end of the age. You know why? Because we have this history of God keeping his promises. Friends, God has more promises to fulfill. We're to believe him for those promises. When Jesus ascended and the disciples, they watched him disappear up in the clouds. You remember the, in Acts, these two angels appeared and they said, Men of Galilee, you stand here looking into heaven. This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven. And here's the promise that they said. He will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, because we have this history of God keeping his promises, we can believe that promise that he's coming again. We're thus in the same shoes as Malachi 4. They were waiting for his coming, believing his coming, fearing the Lord in the face of all this opposition. You ought to do the same thing. He's coming again. Jesus will return. Remember the promises and hope in the promises. Friends, again, Malachi is dealing with this problem of spiritual apathy. Checking all the right doctrinal boxes, but it really not filtering down into their heart. Not, not really stirring their souls. What are we supposed to do when we honestly really don't care? Let me give you about six things here. See, Malachi's sermon teaches us that when we're spiritually apathetic, don't abandon obeying the word. When you're spiritually apathetic, don't abandon obeying the word. We roll over on Sunday morning and eh, I'm not really feeling it today. That's not an excuse to disobey his word. Are you with me? Like, like when, you're, when you're not feeling it, that's not an excuse to disobey his word. But when you have this opportunity to share the gospel with a friend and you're like, I'm just not into it today. Faithfulness isn't connected to the fact of you just really being into it. Remember a day is coming, fear the day. Spiritual apathy is not an excuse for disobedience. However, spiritual apathy is a check engine light, isn't it? When you roll over and feel, uh, feel that, something's off in that moment. When you're, when you're apathetic, don't abandon obeying, obeying God's word, but, but don't also just drudge through it. God doesn't want you to have this joyless walk. So don't run from the apathy. Don't run from it. When, when, when that apathy is, you know, is there again, don't run from it. Push into it. Understand why it's there. Own it and turn from it. And also related to that, don't settle for spiritual apathy. Listen, God doesn't want you to have this life where you're just kind of drudging through obedience. That's not the good news of the gospel. So, so don't run from it and don't settle for it. Push into it. Push into that call that, listen, when you don't care, he still cares for you. And, and let that warm you again. Malachi's taught us that in that moment when you don't really care, ponder deeply how he cares for you. In other words, go back to those gospel truths. Go back to a verse like John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Brothers and sisters, that's true. And when you read that, after walking with Jesus for decades, that's meant to just stir you again. That's meant to remind you again of the blessings of faith. Keep, keep circling that. Ponder that he cares when you don't care. And finally, in other words, when you're apathetic, hope in his promises. Go back believing those future things are true to the degree that it then brings joy into the present. I don't know if you listen to Colin Hansen's podcast. It's a Gospel Coalition podcast. 
And he always ends it, I think, with a really good phrase. He says, we keep looking until we see God working. Listen, we can all struggle to understand the value of serving the Lord when we don't see immediate measurable results. Like, like you can't just pray this one prayer and then it's rainbows and unicorns and everything works out for you, okay? If that's your expectation, it's not a biblical expectation. That's what he's getting at here. He's saying that, listen, when we look out at the broken world, we're to... We're to believe that God is working. We're to fear the Lord. We're to trust Him. And thus, we're to, keep, we're to keep looking to find Him. So when you struggle with spiritual apathy, when you're criticized by the world, or when you're tempted by the desires of the flesh, don't abandon faithfulness. Don't, don't settle for spiritual apathy. Keep, keep looking until you find Him. In other words, when, you're, uh, when your heart is hard and you don't care, let, let, it just, let the gospel soften your soul. Let the truths about God caring about you, ponder that deeply and and let it soften your soul. Like when your heart is cold and numb and apathetic, let the gospel warm you like a a campfire up in the mountains at night. Let let it just warm you in such a way that it, it draws you back to faithfulness, that it motivates you to keep going. Let the promise of Jesus' return give you the perseverance you need to keep reading and to keep praying and to keep showing up and to keep giving and to keep serving and to keep sharing. Listen, time is short. I'm already two generations away from what they're talking about with these generations. Some of you are further along. Some of you realize, wait a second, I'm, I'm not the new generation anymore. I'm 14. Hey, welcome to life. It's moving on. Time is short. Don't waste the time that he's given you. Don't be paralyzed by spiritual apathy. When you don't care, ponder deeply that he still cares for you. Fear the day and remember the promises. And if you're a digital native, if you're tempted by all these things around you, just know, and maybe you need to find an older Christian who's walked with Jesus for a long time, and they'll tell you this. Just know that it's worth it. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for this, this one final admonition from the prophet. We thank you that it, that it all points up to you and, and that our, our hope is, is all wrapped up in the fact that not only have you, not only did you come in the past, but you're going to come again. And Lord, we just, we praise you for being a God who keeps his promises. And so when we read these Old Testament, maybe even strange prophecies. We know that not only have you fulfilled them, but you're going to fulfill them. Lord, that's our hope. Lord, for those of us who wake up consistently with spiritual apathy, I pray that the, the promise of the day of the Lord just shakes us out of it, motivates us to greater faithfulness. I pray that we wouldn't settle for a, the drudgery of a of a lifeless, heartless orthodoxy, that we would keep going back to these gospel truths, that we would keep looking until we find you, until, until our hearts are softened and our souls are warmed. Lord, I pray that we would walk faithfully with you, trusting you in all things with our future, no matter the pressure, no matter what we face, that we would fear you above everything else. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray.